0: Welcome to the Northwest Politicast. I'm Jeff Podula. This week, the former Seattle city attorney left a massive backlog of cases. His successor has a plan, but it comes with a cost. The clock is ticking on Congress's ability to reform marijuana laws, but there seems to be a last-minute push from Democrats. And rampant graffiti could lead to the dissolution of an agreement between Seattle and the state over homelessness. All of that plus... If you thought it was difficult for Republicans and Democrats to get along, just wait until you hear about the fight between Idaho Republicans and themselves. But first, President Biden paid a visit to the Seattle area. It was the first presidential visit since Barack Obama came to Seattle in 2016. And Of course, President Biden's visit comes amidst a midterm campaign where it looks like all signs are pointing to at least a Republican takeover of the House in the fall. We'll get to that here in a little bit. But first, we wanted to talk with... Randy Peppel, Republican strategist, and Kathy Allen, Democratic strategist, about the president's visit. And first and foremost, the issue at hand this past week has been environmentalism, global warming, climate change. He came to Seattle on a very intentional day, that being Earth Day.
1: Yeah, I know. That's part of the real deal here in terms of this. I mean, Washington state has been... The the primo place where we talk about not just Earth Day kinds of things, we take a look at climate change, all the things that the legislature has done to be able to make things, I would say, better in regards to the climate destruction. All of that notwithstanding, he's here to play politics. He's here to say, oh, here's the Pacific Northwest. Here's the place to be when it comes to talking about the environment, talking about keeping things clean and safe and healthier.
2: Randy, what do you think? Well, I think the president has a real problem going anywhere else in the country and talking about the environment when people are so concerned about inflation. We're along the southern border with the border problems that we have. So he's coming to a safe uh, democratic state to talk about a safe democratic issue and raise some safe democratic money and hope to get out of town without anybody asking him why he's driven the economy into the ground and are there any hopes for the 40-year high in inflation to abate anytime soon. Um, And that's why, you know, if you're a Democrat candidate who's on the ballot this year, you don't want to be anywhere near president biden when he's in town
0: just taking a look at the president's approval rating it's down into the low 40s one poll had him down into the 30s this is uh, at or even in some cases below what president trump had in his term a couple of years ago that does not really spell well for democrats holding on to the house let alone the senate
2: no i mean we learned this in 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 the 1980 uh election inflation and high gas prices are not good for an incumbent president and they are certainly not good for that president's party and because joe biden is governing over both and has other problems as well on top of those. But just those two alone, inflation and higher gas prices, take every other story off the page and make it very hard for Democrats to run on anything uh, resembling a message uh, of success.
0: Aside from the fundraising that's going on, which uh, Seattle, a rich territory for for Democratic money, if you're coming in here as a presidential candidate or any other kind of candidate for that matter, Uh, Kathy, do you think that his visit is helpful or hurtful for some of the Democrats in these tight races, and in particular, Kim Schreier over in the 8th Congressional District?
1: You know, I look at this and I think, are you guys crazy? You know, the rest of the country may be sitting there and wimping in its own, oh God, this is like terrible. But in the Pacific Northwest, people are not saying, oh my gosh, this is the President of the United States. Oh my gosh, he's not good. The fact is, is that most America is thinking... Life is better now. And more importantly, I think that most folks are saying, will you quit complaining? I'm tired of you guys who complain all the time.
2: Yeah, Kathy, we, I, I sure hope that's the Democrat message, is that uh, things are better now two years ago. Gas prices are much better. They're much better now than they were two years ago. The The inflation rate is so much better. Interest rates are so much better under Joe Biden. Run on that message, Kathy, and it will be a massacre that we have not seen since 1994.
1: You always say that, Randy, and, and the real truth is that Most people understand that government can't do everything, but what they really look at is, what can they do that's made my life better? And Randy, for God's sakes, what's happened here is that we have a whole lot more going for us than we did a year ago.
2: Let then run on that message because the vast majority of the American population does not see the progress under Joe Biden that you do. They do not see the improvement in jobs. They certainly don't see the improvement in inflation. They certainly don't see the improvement in energy prices and the price that they pay for nearly everything going up up and they don't see the promise of of COVID being defeated when the federal government is now saying, no, we're going to go back to court to try to reinforce the mask mandate, and we're going to continue to fight to keep kids out of certain public schools. The, the, the public is tired of the federal government's overreach, and that's why you're going to see a Republican House in the fall, you're going to see a Republican Senate in the fall, and in our own state, in Washington State, you're going to see the Republicans take control of the Washington State Legislature because of the Democratic overreach that has occurred under the Joe Biden and Binsley administrations, and the voters are tired of it because they see. Absolutely nothing being done on public safety, with the exception of I understand that there is being a little bit of a sweep of the homeless uh, shelters around the Weston Hotel, so that uh, President Biden and the and the elite. Democratic donors that are going to the event tonight won't have to actually look at the homeless problem that has been created by the Democratic policies that govern the city of Seattle.
1: Oh, Randy, you are so messed up. The important part is people are looking at what's happening and saying to themselves, I just don't want to live in this world of negatives that, among other things, Republicans are just absolutely exploiting.
2: Well, Kathy, I don't think it's negative to point out the facts. And the facts are inflation is up, gas prices is up, crime is up, and Joe Biden is president. And Governor Inslee continues to rule under some sort of emergency powers doctrine that he's had in place for nearly 800 days. And the people are fed up with it, Kathy. And I think that you'll see that in the election results this fall. If you think that's a negative, I understand that for, for some, Democrats losing is a negative. For the people of Washington State and across the country, that will be a positive this fall. I you
1: know, I'd be happy to take that bet because I got to tell you that for 11 years, you've been preaching the same doctrine and it has never come true before. People are not going to change and say we're all falling through the great big huge hole that says life is pathetic. The fact is, is that most people look at Washington state and think we're doing pretty well.
0: All right. We're going to have to leave it there. Republican strategist Randy Peppel, Democratic strategist Kathy Allen. Thank you so much for your time and insight. Thank, thank you. you. We have to take a quick break. But when we come back, the Seattle City Attorney's plan to clear the massive backlog of cases left by her predecessor. But it comes at a cost when the Northwest Politicast continues after this. Welcome back to the Northwest Politicast. I'm Jeff Pogela. Well, the Seattle City Attorney's Office plans to eliminate the backlog of criminal cases now this is several thousand cases deep now Ann davison the current city attorney won election on planning to clear out this backlog and by prosecuting repeat offenders taking a tougher stance on crime but covering this for us is john lobertini who joins me now in the northwest news radio newsroom and what exactly is Ann davison doing because i understand clearing out this backlog comes at a cost
3: Well, I've spoken to her twice on this issue and she seems really stressed out about it and today was no exception. She believes she can eliminate this backlog of close to 5,000 cases by the end of the year. Listen to this.
1: By doing that, we will process an unprecedented amount of cases that have been left
3: to linger. But it's going to come at the expense of more than 1,900 cases that she will decline to prosecute.
1: With heavy heart, I've had to make that decision. The longer a case sits, the harder it is to prosecute. Again, with those resources that I have, I think the best thing to do for public safety is to have them focused on present crime that is occurring.
3: And Jeff, when you look at the details, those more than 1,900 cases sat for an average of 334 days, the longest more than two years. Will it work? We'll see. So
0: she's wanting to clear out this backlog by essentially saying some of this backlog we're not even going to prosecute. Are these violent crimes? Are these petty crimes? What what are, exactly is she not prosecuting here? Because well, she, she ran on wanting to crack down on
3: crime. Well, uh, they run the gamut. Um, she's got property destruction crimes, theft, criminal trespass, uh, non-DUI traffic offenses. Some of these cases they will decline to prosecute in some cases this this is a situation where the statute of limitations has run out and it was tough to get details out of her on this but but that is my sense of what it is that the the cases and i asked her i said you know are, are any of these violent cases and she said well you know i you know i regret it you know it, it's with a heavy heart that i do this she but, avoided
0: the, answering the question
3: yeah she did pretty much you're right
0: so but we we've talked about you know all of these repeat offenders a lot of them are violent but how many of them really end up at the city attorney's desk? Because if it's a serious crime, it, it's a prosecuted as a felony, and that goes to the King County prosecutor.
3: Well, the, the priority list remains the same. Violent crimes against people are atop the priority list, followed by crimes involving firearms and weapons. That is that is her stance at this point. And then, you know, there are crimes that fall below that. You know, it, it's it. Who knows? I mean, this is this is a moving target, and she's, uh, you know this is her second plan to get this done and uh, she's hired more people she's got uh, lots of staff positions she needs to to fill out two clerical type positions Uh, so you could argue she's moving in the right direction but again you know this is it's been a tough road for the past couple of years and and dealing with these problems are are not easy from anywhere you look
0: And, and she plans to clear this backlog out by the end of 2022 is that right yeah that's, that's and so how plan. many how many cases is that that she's having to clear out you talked about the the 1900 or so that she's just not going to prosecute for whatever reason it happens to be but how many cases does that leave for her to deal with between now and the end of December
3: well it sounds a bit ambitious but she says in excess of 300 cases a month from the backlog they'll they'll, they'll attempt to clear out and uh, you know barring any hiccups she expects that they will clear out the backlog by the end of the year
0: so that's 2,000, 2 thousand 2500 cases that she's got to go through and she's got to have a staff like an army in order to tackle this because that's a lot of cases
3: you know she seems to indicate that she's it sounds to me me like she's she's got positions she hired you know nine new prosecutors and she's moved some bodies around this has been made a priority um, and it sounds to me like and she used the word well we're going to use the resources that we have and there was some indication that she might be pulling some from other places but this seems like a high priority and and In almost all hands on deck sort of situation it's a campaign promise and uh, I'm certain she's feeling the pressure so um, this is getting a priority this is getting priority treatment uh, for that reason if no other
0: and the city attorney does a lot more than just prosecute misdemeanor crimes in the city they're the lawyer for the mayor and the Seattle City Council this is where Ann Davison uh, has much more experience. She was a civil attorney for most of her practice. doesn't have a lot of background in criminal law, but yet that is the direction she is taking this office. Is, is there any sense you got that she may be in over her head? I, I mean, because there was a lot of criticism about her lack of, of criminal legal background when she was elected
3: well if you look back a couple of months you'll remember that she brought in former u.s attorney brian moran to serve as an advisor as she moved forward in her first that's a big hire
0: that's a big get for her
3: yes it was and he has apparently been someone that she's leaned on in fact it it was his recommendation that they cut down the backlog, that they get rid of some of these cases. And she makes a good point. I mean, if you've if you've covered crime, and I have, you know, for many years, you know that if cases linger, they become more difficult to prosecute. People are less likely to uh, want to talk about the case. It's harder to track down witnesses. It just becomes more difficult. And, and I'm certain this became a situation where, you know, they... She thought they would dedicate their resources and their brain power in the areas where they had the best chance to solve some of these cases. Would she prefer to and and would the public prefer that she, you know, uh, went through and, and, you know, uh, sought accountability for all of these cases? Certainly. But uh, in this case, uh, you, you sort of have to make do with what you've got.
0: So she's working to clear out this backlog. 1900 or so cases that are not going to be prosecuted and then about 300 cases a month to clear out the backlog between now and the end of the year, let alone the number of cases that are going to pop up between now and the end of the year. Is there going to be a a sacrifice there as well? Because I I can imagine there's quite a few cases she's got to handle on a daily and weekly
3: basis. Well, she seemed to indicate that there were going to be priority cases, new priority cases that might come through, and that they were positioned pretty well to handle those things. I think that she was slightly hesitant to, um, you know, really, you know, raise a flag over getting this done by the end of the year she said you know if we if, if everything falls into place if we you know there are no hiccups uh, we'll we'll pull this off but she did mention that there would be there would be priority cases you know she she set this mandate in place where they would deal with cases within five business days five business days that's pretty quick that is quick. That is quick, and and you know she's that you can see why there's a lot of pressure on her. This is a very very ambitious schedule, and you never know what's going to happen. I mean, they, 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 any number of things can, and it w- that would pull, you know, that would take her attention and that office's attention away from this. Again, this is <laughs> this is politics, and you you just you know things can change things can and do change
0: all right john lobertini thank you so much for your time thank you we have to take another quick break but when we come back changing the nation's marijuana laws the latest push from a northwest lawmaker when the northwest politicast returns in just a moment welcome back to the northwest politicast i'm jeff Pogela marijuana pot hippie lettuce ganja all of these favorite euphemisms we've used over the last few decades to describe marijuana Well, they're at the forefront in the United States Congress right now. The United States House has passed a bill to not only legalize marijuana, but they've also passed separate legislation to help those in states like Washington and Colorado that have legalized pot businesses actually run a business without having to rely on cash only. Joining me now is Ryan Harris from Northwest News Radio. He's been covering this and... uh, on 420 this past week, of course, it had to be that day. Senator Patty Murray held a press conference talking about it. What did she have to say?
4: Well, firstly, Jeff, we're talking about the Safe Banking Act. This is a bill that has been in Congress for years. This is now the sixth time that it's passed the House of Representatives. And each time, Republican support grows for this bill. And what it essentially does is protects banks from federal racketeering charges because they are dealing with businesses involved in something that is considered illegal under federal law. So it would give the banks the opportunity to work with these businesses. They could start taking plastic, wouldn't have to have so much cash on hand. And part of the reason now it's really becoming an issue is because we have seen here in Washington so much violence with these marijuana dispensary robberies. In one case, one person was shot and killed. So it's getting to be a very serious situation. Now, the problem in the United States Senate is not just the conservatives, the Republicans who just don't like pot or pot businesses or the idea that it's legal. There are also liberals, including uh, the Democratic leader, Chuck Schumer, and Senator Cory Booker, who want all of the cannabis laws changed at once and so they tend to make themselves sort of speed bumps when it comes to the piecemeal stuff like, like the SAFE Act. So it really is a, a tough, uh, tough road to hoe for Democrats in the Senate who are trying to get this passed.
0: So where does it stand now? Because obviously Patty Murray would not be talking about it if it hasn't gained some traction.
4: Well, part of the reason Patty Murray was talking about it is because, and she told us all about this, the version that passed the House has the Safe Banking Act in it. The version of the bill that passed the Senate does not. So they have formed what they call a conference committee where members from both parties in both houses get together and negotiate a final bill that all can agree on. They send it back and vote on it and get it passed. That's the situation now with the Safe Banking Act because of the difference between the two bills. And Senator Patty Murray, the senior Democrat from Washington State, is on this steering committee. So she's really pushing hard to do it and to get it done. And she feels, she says, optimistic about it because the bill that it's in is so important that they feel like they can get it passed if they can keep it in. She could not say if safe banking on its own had 60 votes in the Senate, and whether or not uh, keeping that in the bill would undermine that. So there is still sort of a question mark out there as to what will happen with this bill. But I also asked Senator Murray directly if she's ever talked to any of her Republican colleagues and asked them, based on what we're seeing, that they realize that the people on their side don't necessarily like cannabis businesses or legalization or any of it, But that meanwhile, the businesses are there, they're not going anywhere, and people are dying to keep them operating. So they want to improve safety. And she says that's absolutely the argument they're making. And they think they might be making a little bit of traction there because safety is a priority for everybody. But uh, it really is still up in the air as to what's going to happen.
0: And like you said, we've seen so many of these cases here in Washington state because these businesses, marijuana businesses, because of those federal banking laws have to use cash. So they're a big, big target for thieves. We've seen the videos that uh, Como News and other outlets have have aired as a result of uh, these attacks. You said that that's the argument she's making and that the Democrats are making in this conference committee. Does, is there any response from Republicans? Is, is there any 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 give there
4: at all? You know, we really haven't heard yet. It's a process that's really sort of just getting started. So and that's why Senator Murray was talking about it. They're on a brief recess. So things are sort of on hold right now. But when she goes back, I believe uh, probably uh, next week or, or the following Monday, uh, she'll be uh, you know, she'll be right to work on this. And we'll probably learn more from there. But, you know, again, this is something we're just watching as it goes along. And and Senator Murray was basically rolling out, I think, uh, the start uh, of the event and her playbook.
0: So basically this law, the the SAFE Act, it eliminates those federal racketeering charges and allows banks to do business with marijuana shops?
4: Absolutely. And in fact, there was a, a pot shop owner at Senator Murray's press conference talking about how difficult it is, not just on on them having to to have all cash there. And this man's business has been robbed. He's one of the ones that was in Lake City in Seattle. Uh, But it's also the employees. Oftentimes, unless they get a friendly credit union they can work with, they have to pay their employees in cash. Uh, They can't get home loans or car loans because they know what kind of business they're in and nobody will work with them because they work in that industry, not even operating the business, just working in it. And so it's it's difficult. Again, they have to carry around all cash in order to get paid. So it just creates more dangers for everybody. Now, the other thing to keep in mind, too, when we're talking about this, this bill in the Senate is that there is a real possibility that Republicans could regain the majority in the Senate after the midterms. So it's not just that they feel good about it and they think they can get it passed this time. The window is closing and it's closing pretty rapidly. And if they don't get this done and Republicans do take back control of the Senate, it wouldn't even make it to a committee for a hearing, let alone to the floor for a vote.
0: What about the White House? Have we heard anything from the Biden administration on either the legalization of marijuana or this Safe Banking Act? Because certainly he has a a very different view on this than his predecessor.
4: Absolutely. Uh, There was no way Donald Trump would have signed off on something like this. Uh, But when it comes to Joe Biden, you know, it's funny when he was Vice President Biden, his president, Barack Obama, clearly said that he was not in favor of full legalization for recreational use, uh, even though it was already happening in some of the states or at least, uh, you know, in the works and in the process. And so, you know, uh, Biden is certainly colored by that experience. But as I understand it, uh, the Democrats in the Senate believe that if they can get it to the president, it will get a signature because the president understands that really right now it's a public safety concern and a crime concern more
0: than anything else. All right. Ryan Harris, reporter for Northwest News Radio. Thank you so much for your time.
4: Happy to do it, Jeff.
0: Still to come, graffiti could lead to the end of an agreement between Seattle and the state over homelessness when the Northwest Politicast continues after this. Welcome back to the Northwest Politicast. I'm Jeff Podgla. Well, graffiti on highways could lead to the dissolution of an agreement over homelessness. Joining me now is Fox 13 News reporter Matt Markovich, who has been covering this. And so let's start with that uh, idea of graffiti on the highways, because that's where this all starts with Mayor Bruce Harrell. Doesn't
5: it? That's right. So this week, Mayor Harrell announced a one Seattle day of service where he would like everybody on May 21st to go into their neighborhoods and paint over graffiti as well as pick up garbage. So, on the heels of that, I asked him when he was making that announcement, I asked him about all the graffiti that's on the highways leading into Seattle and throughout Seattle. This is Washington State property. Uh, it's been a as as we've talked about before, Jeff. Encampments along the highways, and now the graffiti along the highways, and it's all on right of way property owned by the state of Washington, managed by the Department of Transportation. So when I asked him, "Well, what about all the uh, graffiti that's on the highway? Will the city of C- Will the Washington State be part of this day of service? Will they? Will they cover up all the graffiti?" And he basically says, you know what, Um, I'm thinking about possibly renewing, revising, or eliminating, terminating, those were his words, this memorandum of understanding that the city has with the state of Washington about how the city can go into state property and take care of encampments as well as graffiti. if. You know, the state of Washington it appears not to be doing that.
0: So what does the Memorandum of Understanding say right now? So this is
5: something that was written up about 13 years ago, which basically gives permission to the city of Seattle to go on state right-of-way property and handle things that the State Department of Transportation can't handle, like homelessness and camp removals. Well, DOT is um, not equipped the, for that. They, no, they, they, they don't maintain not have the the services. They, yeah, that's exactly right. They're a maintenance organization and they build roads. They don't take care of people. Living on the roads or on the embankments, but that, as you know, that's evolved in this in in many areas of the state, especially in Seattle, where people have set up camp on state property managed by the DOT. So they wrote up this memorandum of understanding so Seattle police and outreach workers and the services that the city of Seattle does provide people who are in shelter, those people can go onto the state property and take care of the homelessness uh, that happens there. So that's been in place for about 13 years. And in many ways that has been a, uh, a shield for the Department of Transportation to not manage its own land. They've always said, hey, well, we have an agreement with the city of Seattle, Seattle policies have allowed this to happen. And we're allowing them to go in and take care of it. So and a cynical
0: political reporter like me is going to say, hey, that's some
5: that's some cover
0: for the DOT to say, hey, it's not my problem.
5: That, exactly right. It, it really wasn't until we talked to with State Senator Steve Hobbs, who was uh, the chairman of the powerful Senate Transportation Committee, where they got pressured to put some money in the budget to start cleaning up homeless camps and garbage around these camps. That was just a couple of years ago. And now this year, there is more money in the budget for cities like Seattle and other cities in the state to go to clean up encampments, to pay for outreach services, you know, kind of let the city do its work, but then back, backfill with the city and give them some money to that they're paying the outreach workers to go into the camp. So now there's some more movement by the state to handle what's happening on the highways. But when it comes to graffiti... Um, the state really has only set aside one point four million dollars for the entire state for graffiti removal along all highways. and by comparison, the city of Seattle is spending three point four million dollars this year just on graffiti removal within the city of Seattle. So you have three point four on graffiti removal paid by city taxpayers in the city of Seattle, one point four million, you know, basically a third of that for the state to remove all the graffiti, all highways in the state that's quite the disparity so so mayor harrell is saying you know the state is not moving at the pace that i want it to move at so that's why he had his comments regarding that memorandum of understanding and threatened to really you know do do something about this new uh, an agreement with the state and maybe create a new one
0: so what happens if that moa is dissolved
5: well i don't think it's going to dissolve right away it's gonna it's basically uh a permission slip for the city to go in there. And I think maybe the mayor and the city may want to rewrite that. So in saying, and I'm just speculating at this point, but just put more, you know, specifics in there rather than this kind of this broad sweep of, uh, of, yeah, you could come in on our property and take care of things that we're not allowed to, we can't really take care of because we're a maintenance organization that does roads.
0: So how big of a problem is this? I mean, driving into Seattle every morning when I come to work, I see all sorts of graffiti along the the highways, particularly on on I-5 through that downtown corridor, uh, in the tunnels that uh, are the express lanes. We've seen a lot of an increase over the last few months, and is it associated with these homeless encampments nearby, or do we even know?
5: Well, well, it, a lot of it is not associated with the campments. A lot of it is just these graffiti artists. I mean, you just have to go, if you drive into Seattle and just go through the Mercer Tunnel that leads uh, the off-ramps and on-ramps at Mercer Street in downtown, that tunnel has been graffitied for years. Yeah, it's very elaborate. And it's just the fact that it's spreading. And to Washdot's response to all this, I should point out, is that it even admits that there are some places where graffiti is located that they can't even get to because it's too much a risk of their workers to clean it up. Is that because uh, of homeless encampments? or No, that's just because of the location of the graffiti. I mean, I, I'm just going to basically tell you what, you know, this is what Lars Erickson, who is the communications director for the Department of Transportation, wrote me. He said, for the safety of our employees, we not We do not attempt to access certain areas without support from law enforcement, which has lately only been available for critical emergent needs. And vandals who do graffiti take great risks to get to locations that are very dangerous and difficult for our crews to access. These vandals take risks. That we cannot.
0: I've thought about that because driving in, you see the the road signs that, that are hanging over the overpass, and you have them tagged with some very elaborate graffiti. And, and it, it's crossed my mind: how in the per- world can a person get up there and get in a position? To draw something that's
5: that intricate right well <laughs> and it always seems to happen when no one sees it in the middle of the night you know so it is pretty elaborate and i should also point out that you know between 2011 and 2020 seattle police department had a full-time graffiti investigator uh, christopher young i used to interview him quite a bit and then he left that position in 2017 and then the department because of staffing issues, decide to put graffiti investigations into the general investigation category, basically all the detectives. It's just kind of not specialized anymore. So SBD did not give me a reason on why they made that move to remove a full-time investigator other than to say they readjusted their priorities and felt that they could do this graffiti um, investigation through the general assignment team, general investigation team. I mean, this is my conjecture based on what happens in the city of Seattle, but graffiti vandalism is a property crime. And we all know that they're not being jailed. They're very rarely being prosecuted now, unless there's a lot of maybe other circumstances. So why have a full-time investigator spend all that effort to find out who made the graffiti? And then the person is not held accountable for
0: it. So bottom line, are we Um, expecting to see this MOA dissolve? Or what's the next step? What's the city going to do? What's the state going to do?
5: Well, Bruce Harrell, the mayor, said that come summer, check in with him. I think that basically he's saying that they're in talks with the Department of Transportation or state representatives. And come summer, there may be some some change in all that. So that was the only time frame that he gave for, to me about this. Um, and so it's just a we'll see now will the state workers be out there on May 21st. Like you'd like to have all the other people in the city of Seattle to get their rollers out in the paint. He said he'd paint. He paid for the brush and he would pay for the paint and start covering up graffiti throughout the city of seattle i don't think the workers will be out there on may 21st
0: all right matt markovich political reporter for fox 13 news here in seattle thank you so much you're welcome jeff we have to take another break but still to come there's no question there's a bitter divide in american politics but it's not just right versus left in the northwest it's become right versus far right when the northwest Politicast continues in just a moment Welcome back to the Northwest Politicast. I'm Jeff Podula. Finally this week, fractures regularly occur in American political parties. But what's happening in part of the Northwest isn't so much a fracture as it is a great divide. Brian Calvert takes a closer look.
6: There are differences and extremes in both major political parties, but a group of former elected officials say it's time to get back to basics. Jack Riggs is a former lieutenant governor. He's now a founding member of a group calling itself... North Idaho Republicans. We believe that the Central Committee network has alienated most what we would call regular Republicans. uh, And therefore, we are now called rhinos Or Republican in name only. Riggs wants to flip that notion on its head because this new group, he says, espouses what mainstream Republicans always have. Idaho's Central Republican Committee, he says, has gone too extreme. Now why would you be interested in a story about Idaho politics? Riggs and his cohorts are convinced mainstream Republicans across the country are being forced to embrace the extreme, the untruths, and the political fury of today's party extremists. Much of it coming from those loyal to Donald Trump.
1: We've also seen a network of growing disrespect. We've seen a network of people show up at meetings, an angry mob if you will. Trying to intimidate elected officials.
6: Something Sandy Patano, former vice chair of the state Republican Party, says is not a value they should support. And if you needed an example of the divide within the party, you merely had to witness the news conference where this new group was announced. A man made his way to the platform so he could hold up a giant white sign reading, fake Republicans. We're not here to do what this gentleman might use a term loosely is doing the protester later told our news partner KXLY it's why some of the things that have taken place in our state have taken place because they're not actually uh republicans the north idaho republicans list five pillars of their group to provide an organized and welcoming place of engagement to engage embrace and educate party members to routinely provide accurate and honest information to encourage more citizens to become involved and this last one to be a force for good in their community that mission statement implies the main Republican group, the one running the show until now, might not have been these things. That's something Kootenai County GOP Chairman Brent Reagan takes exception with. In a statement, he says, quote, "I would like to hear how these folks define growing dysfunction accusations without evidence." But the new old Republicans are sticking to their convictions. This isn't about a battle or creating. You know, you know, we don't want to wage war. What we want to do is create a home for the tens of thousands of Republicans in this county that don't have a home right now. Brian Calvert, Northwest News Radio.
0: And that will do it for this episode of the Northwest Politicast. If you like the show, please leave a rating and a review in Apple Podcasts. And for more, be sure to check out our other shows such as Northwest News This Week, Lifebeat with Marina Rockinger, and Puget Sound Now with Bill Schwartz. All are available at nwnewsradio.com or on your favorite podcast app. I'm Jeff Podula. Thank you for listening and have a good week.